You're listening to Seamside. I'm your host, Zach Foster, and we're exploring together how working with cloth makes us more human. And today, I have a beautiful show for us. It's going to be me and four other artists talking about what quilts mean to us. But before we jump into that conversation, just a quick word of gratitude to all the good folks over at the Quilty Nook who make this work possible. Seamside would not exist if it weren't for your support. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you would like to support this work, I sure would appreciate it. Check out the link in the show notes below where you'll find a free three-day trial to the Nook and see for yourself how the Nook can support you in your own creative practice. Today, I want to introduce you to the four artists that I've had the privilege of working alongside these last two weeks at the John C. Campbell Folk School in Western North Carolina. Many of you may remember that I came here in the winter of 2022 as the first ever Olive's Porch Artist in Residence, and I spent five beautiful months here in Brasstown. And so when they invited me to come back to the Folk School and host a quilting mentorship, I was thrilled beyond belief. Before we hear from the folks I've been working with the last two weeks, I've invited Robert Grand, communications and brand manager here at the Folk School, to come share with us a little bit of the history of the school and the program. Hi, Robert. Hi, Zach. It's really great to be here today. I'm so glad to have you here. What do you feel like folks need to know about the Folk School if they've never been here before? The Folk School started in 1925 as an experiment in adult education. So all of Dame Campbell and her friend Marguerite Butler really want to bring this Danish model of education to the southern Appalachian Mountains. That model of education was non-competitive. The kind of myth goes that they were looking for a place to build the school. And Marguerite Butler came to Scroggs General Store, which is now we would say it's in downtown Brasstown, but it was kind of the one shop on the strip. And, sh- and she was saying, OK, we want to build this school. And, and Fred O. Scroggs was so excited by the possibility. And he's taking his notebook out and he's writing things down. And she goes, now, Fred, it's not going to be a school with degrees. Okay, he's writing it down. It's not going to be a school where we give certificates or diplomas or certifications. Okay, and he's scribbling it down. And she goes, it's going to be, you know, non-competitive learning purely for the people of this area. And the story goes, he looks up and says, oh, like the Grunvian model. So, you know, it felt like kind of a perfect marriage of having the folk school in Brasstown. And so now we do, you know, week-long and weekend classes year-round for adults in craft, traditional craft, contemporary art, cooking, music, dance, writing. You know, we like to say there's something for everyone here at the folk school. And it's my understanding that most of those classes are one week long, but these mentorships are two weeks long. How did the mentorships come about? We've been wanting to experiment with our program, I think in a way to go back to the founding of the folk school. We love the week-long classes. We love having fresh beginners come in every week and try something new and step out of their comfort zone. But we thought, how can we play with that? And 2020, when the world was kind of upside down, in a way sort of you know opened up a new door, we could experiment with something new. We were fortunate to get some grant funding so that we could not only present these classes, but offer stipends to the students, the mentees who wanted to come and take them. So that way, once you're here, you've got your tuition is covered, your room and board is covered, your food is covered, and we give you money for materials, or maybe it can cover your transportation. There's no restrictions on it. It's just meant to sort of help you in your artistic journey. And so what are a few of the mentorship programs you've had so far? 
Some of the first mentorships were in music and dance. So we had Aubrey Atwater, who's a really talented dulcimer player, percussive dancer. She learned from Jean Ritchie, so she brought that strong tradition with her. We had Dr. Kathy Bullock from Berea, who taught African-American connections in Appalachian music. We also had Annie Fane Barillon, who knows this community so intimately. And we also did mentorships in weaving, in woodworking, building traditional chairs, that sort of thing. And I think what's most exciting about this program is that it's brought so much incredible, inspiring energy to the folk school. You know, the impact of this traditional craft program is something that I think is going to reach way farther than we realized. And it definitely is already having such a large impact. And of course, in the middle of all that, there's a quilt of mentorship. And that's what we're here to talk about now. Hang in there because Robert's going to come back at the end and we're going to chat a little bit more about the upcoming mentorships in case you're interested. Now, when it came to this quilting mentorship, they let me structure it any way I wanted to. And y'all, I was mean. Let me tell you about it. Week one, I gave us a different quilting challenge prompt every morning. And we had 24 hours to get that quilt as far down the road as we could. But when it came time for day two and prompt number two, we had to put day one aside and start from scratch with this new quilt and get it as far down the road as we could. We did that for the first five days, starting five new quilts. Then in week two, we stepped back and we reflected on the five pieces we had started and then chose one of those pieces that we wanted to see through to completion while we're here. These artists have taught me so much as we've sat side by side in a circle sewing together for many hours every day. And so I wanted to invite them here on the seam side so that you too could take part in the kinds of conversations that we've been having together in the quilting studio. I hope you enjoy how to work together with my new friends, Kianga Janaki, Chris Dufour, Chanello Njaka, and Jesselyn Kazaya. I'm Kianga Janaki from Riviera Beach, Florida, and I am a fiber artist who quilts. My name is Chris Dufour. I'm visiting from Montreal in so-called Canada, and I'm a quilter and a textiles artist working a lot in natural dyes. My name is Chinello. I'm from Minnesota originally, but I live in London, and my medium is fiber and textile arts. My name is Jessalyn Kazaya. I am a member of the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina, currently living in Durham, and I am primarily a potter. Now, the first thing I was curious about was hearing from each of the mentees about how quilts fit into their life. Quilting is central to my art practice. It's my go-to for storytelling, and I love to tell the stories of my life, the life of people of African descent here in America, also the cultural stories from Africa, the traditions, the rituals, and just the stories. How do quilts fit into my life? I think that there's a part of quilting, now that I've been doing it for a little over two years, that I, I don't know what to do if I'm not quilting. I, I have a sense of it where I, I just feel like I have to. Part of it's co-regulation. But I think... I think that they fit into my life in a sense that they create avenues for relationships, whether that's through, I don't know, dyeing fabric with my mom and quilting her a quilt, whether that's spending time in an ecosystem and doing eco prints from the plants that I'm interacting with and making a quilt that is tethering me to that, to that place. And yeah, I think that that's how they fit into my life. 
Um, well, they've always been a part of my life. My parents received a baby quilt before I was born, and it's one of my most prized possessions, and it's it's been with me, well, yeah, since I was since I was born. So I feel like that's the beginning of my quilt journey. And I've just always had quilts around. And now I'm a sociologist as well as an artist, and I'm researching quilts as well as making quilts and supporting quilt communities. And so I guess I've structured my life, not intentionally, but just through interest and happenstance. I've, I've structured my life around quilting so that it's pretty much in every facet of it. And I, I love it. Couldn't complain. I take a kind of creative approach to quilting. I came into it following patterns and doing geometric quilts, traditional styles, but then incorporating African fabrics, which tie into my Nigerian heritage. And I guess I use a lot of color, which ties into my Black American heritage. And really wanted to explore how I can insert my voice in, in that sort of traditional quilting from a tradition that's not exactly part of my lineage, even though it's part of the, the U.S. American quilting. And over time, I've moved into more improvisational styles and storytelling quilts and Right now I'm using it especially in ways to think through and process and explore my identities as both a U.S. American and a Nigerian, Igbo in particular. And so I've been intentionally doing research on Nigeria and Igbo land and Biafra and have come up with quilts around, I guess, exploring memory and pain around the independence um, Time, which was the 1960s, and then the Biafra War, which was a few years after that, and putting that in my quilts. And that's been really healing, and it's opened up doors to exploring my heritage in the U.S. South and even my life in Britain. And so I guess I've taken a very personal and a, a personal turn that focuses on memory and history and, and perhaps ways of moving forward as well. Quilts have been in my life as long as I've been in the world. I still have the quilt that was made for me when my mom found out that I was going to be born. And I have quilters in my family. I have quilters in community. For me, I've always aspired to be a quilter, to be a part of that patchwork of the fabric of community. Quilts are community surrounding you. And I'm thinking about in Native community, so many communities gift baby blankets, and um, we see quilts really coming into those moments of folks' life. But blankets are a big traditional gift in many Native communities, and we use them. There's sometimes blanket dances at powwows, and we'll use blankets when people come into very big moments or milestones or transition points in their life around graduation, gifting PhDs, wrapping them in a blanket, or during marriage ceremonies, a specific quilt being made and wrapped around the shoulders of the newlyweds. And to me, it's just so quilts become such a beautiful intrinsic part of being able to wrap and envelop someone in that love and in that community holding. And so that you could have a visual of each of these artists' work, I asked them to describe one piece they've made during the last two weeks. So I grew up in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. And I grew up just a few blocks from Johns Hopkins Hospital. So it has three row houses from the block that I lived on. It also includes the little church on the corner. There are these big fields of grass in the middle of the street that we used to play on. We used to play stickball from. So it has all of those little elements from my childhood that I met, remember fondly. I did a quilt that maps out my childhood neighborhood, 
the the street that I grew up on. That was very, very rewarding and inspiring. And I think some more things are going to come out of that. One of the quotes that I made here at the Foot School with the mentorship has been an abstract mapping project that Zach, you so generously provided us the prompt for. And it's still in the in the making. It feels like a very tedious project, but I've been working on on trying to find ways to to map relationships to the act of like hunting and fishing. So the quote that I'm working on is is very is going through and tracing the lines of trapping snowshoe hare with some friends of mine up north. And the project is an exploration about how to come into how to come into relationship with those practices in a way that is rooted in in dynamics of care as paying homage to the creatures that are out there. And and it feels a bit of a meditation on on how to sit with the the complications about relationships to masculinity, to domination, to to all those practices that have infiltrated their way into especially Western settler and, and white connections to to those practices. And and so I've just been very tediously embroidering little trees and little little maps and traces of of the animals and my traces through that landscape to just to just sit with those thoughts. A piece I've made at the folk school over the mentorship two weeks is one where I'm mapping where my grandmother used to live in Auburn, Alabama. Over time, since in my lifetime, the land has been encroached upon by developers and gentrification, renewal, and the area, her well, her neighborhood has really been just, well, encroached upon. It's gotten smaller and smaller. And by the time she died in 2006, there were only two houses left on her street. And those have now been removed or demolished, and the street is no longer there. And so for our last prompt, we had a mapping prompt, and immediately I started thinking about what it would be like to capture my memories and my mom's memories in in a quilt as a place that no longer exists and as memories that no longer, I mean, have, a, I guess, a, a place that they can be pinned to. And yeah, so I'm, I'm enjoying doing that and the research around it and listening to my mom talk about it when I've talked with her on the phone about it and, and thinking it through myself, it's really excavated a lot of old memories and memories, not only kind of pictorial memories, but also sounds, smells, feelings. And yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing it and seeing where it takes me. One of the ways I'm trying to incorporate the visuality is the color schemes. I'm using a lot of greens and a lot of red, which remind me of the big I think the red pines and then the red clay of the ground, which is something that is just very visceral in my mind. And so I'm using those colors, I'm using those threads, and I'm also trying to incorporate pine needles or pine cones as a way of being of the quilt being more tactile, more audible, and also more olfactory in in as people engage with it. So a quilt that I've made here at the folk school. It's been interesting because I came in with multiple ideas. I wanted to do a land back quilt. I wanted to do something around native foodways and plant medicines. And I found that actually each of these ideas has built and grown into each other and almost become a kaleidoscope where I'll start making the turtles for the 13 moons on the turtles back. And then they actually become an entirely 
separate quilt and piece. But then when I'm wrapping back into the foods, working on this other piece, I'm like bringing a turtle back into it. So to me, all of the pieces are starting to speak to each other and show up in little elements of each other. The quilt that I landed on to really dive into here at the folk school, in the end, it, it was a quilt map of Turtle Island, which is a well-known native creation story describing what we now also call North America, in which we hear the story of Sky Woman falling from Sky World and the earth being created on the back of a turtle shell to catch her falling. And there are many storytellers who tell the story so beautifully in all of its details, and I really hope that you look them up and listen to the many ways that this story is told. It's not even what I set out to make. It's envisioned on the quilt just as this one large turtle, and turns out that it's exactly the width of my arms and feet at full spread, (laughs) which was not intentional, but... It does feel like this beautiful island to land on and to lay on top of the quilt and sew it, the stitching in as I'm laying there and thinking about my own connection to land and to Turtle Island. And it's such a process to make and to be in and to stay in slowly. I really thought of my quilting as being something that I was hoping to even rush through, right? That I'm actually finding that stitching these little seed stitches into Turtle Island is such a mindful exercise to sit in of this future vision that we're living into by creating it in this moment. Next, I asked them what's one creative challenge they faced in the last couple of weeks and what it showed them about their own creative practice. Oh, Lord, yes. A creatively challenging moment for me was working with materials that I don't normally work with. It took me a minute to shift it into my voice the stories that I wanted to tell. Um, and I realized that I could, I can tell those stories no matter what the materials are, that I'm going to come through it no matter what. Some of those crazy materials included a bath mat, uh, a robe, a tie, a sequin dress, a sheer thingy, a fur hat, those are not in any stretch of the imagination. Maybe the maybe the sequin dress, but the other things, absolutely not. <laughs> I think one of the biggest challenges for me at the beginning was was all the plastic that you gave me. When we started off, Zach gave us a couple prompts, and the first one was just a slew of fabrics that I didn't like the touch of. One of them was an old bath mat. Just, yeah, some very, like, texturally upsetting material and and also a, a plastic porch flag. And so that that ended up challenging me a lot. It, I was telling Zach earlier that it, I was sitting there quilting. I was like, I don't even think I like quilting anymore. And I, I think that that was, a, that was a challenge, but it also was a teaching moment about me reflecting on like, what is it about this medium that actually draws me to it? And, and I think... That the thing that I was thinking about was that it's actually dying that draws me to the practice, that quilting is actually a way to move through other practices. So we're sitting there with those plastic fabrics and there's a mushroom dyeing workshop happening across campus. And all I can think about is like, how do I get into that class? And I eventually befriended some folks and started picking their brains about what they were learning in there. But it, yeah, it made me really reflect that working with natural fabrics whether that's wool or cotton or linen those things feel important 
to me in the in the kind of like tactility of them that they feel nice on my body but then being able to work with dying practices adds this other level of relationship to them and so it, it had me reflecting on how dyeing that fabric and then working it into a quilt is is another dimension of like relationship to place and i'm just going to jump in here and say that everyone to a t who comes in the studio points at chris's porch flag made of plastic fabric and they say what a beautiful piece and i think one thing that i've learned watching this process of someone who's working out of their depths is that our hand and our eye comes through our work with every piece you can be working with totally foreign unfamiliar materials but you're still going to have those signature moments for me some creative challenging moments were the first couple days where i felt pretty out of my element being back in the United States newly and in a new area for me for the first time, um, working with fabrics that were new to me, as well as time constraints and not having my usual tools was a big challenge. But after a couple of days, I, I relaxed a lot and was able to tune into my own intuition. And what I realized is uh, one of my main goals coming into this was trying to figure out what my quilting voice is and develop what that is. And one of the insights that I had after that first week was that in order to find my voice, I need to listen. And so having the time to do that after those first couple of days when I started feeling more relaxed was a really nice shift in my mind and I was able to start listening to my voice again. What I'm realizing about my voice is that I like space to think and contemplate. Over the last year, I've been developing my practice at the intersection of research-based practice and practice-based research. And I really value both of those aspects of my own practice and find the way that they interplay very nourishing. I guess what's come out of that is really thinking through an issue or a, an area of my life that I'm, I'm curious about, and then perhaps starting to play around with fabrics or ideas perhaps digging into archives or doing research and eventually I'll get back to making that into art or if I'm doing the art I get back into the books and talking to people and trying to learn more about whatever it is that I that I have in mind or have on my mind and there's just something about that balance that I just really enjoy okay so this I have a I have a really pointed answer for this it's interesting to me looking at these creative challenges that have come up through the week. Like I said, I'm primarily a potter, and so I'm used to the way that clay handles. And so, for example, we always say that clay has a memory. It's living. Every imprint of your thumbs on the clay will show in the final firing, even if you really think that you've smoothed it all the way over and erased that mark. It will show up again at some point in the process. And so it's been really interesting to me to learn more about how fabric operates. I've spent time in textiles and with fabric, but never this intensively. And it does behave so differently. And so it took me a moment to release that finality that I expect from clay. And it was Chris actually who reminded me that fabric is really forgiving and that I can always take stitches back out. And I am so not used to having that flexibility in the process and so I'm I'm reaching really towards the final with every step and it's really there's a freedom in being able to know that you can go back and shift things and adjust and take stitches out and change and so I still am finding myself using the fabric like it is a sculptural material 
which I'm finding that it can be, which is really exciting. But it does have this pliability and flexibility and responsiveness that I'm not used to having space to be able to play around like that. So that really has unlocked a lot for me in my whole creative process. Yes. So for example, in this turtle that I'm creating, it's over a large quilt top and it's basically a throw blanket that we thrifted earlier this week that tossed onto the top of the blanket and I was trying to drape and shape it into the body of the turtle. And then I actually have what I what I had planned to be a ribbon skirt that I just hadn't finished sewing that I laid on top of it, thinking that I would just give me the idea of what a shell would look like. But turns out it's not a ribbon skirt. It is actually the shell. So that just stayed completely there in place. So then the task became how to take this drape, this throw blanket and sculpt and drape it in this way to create the illusion of the turtle's little arms reaching up and his little feet reaching behind and I was really fussing and petting and pushing down these this one edge, this one side of the belly, this one foot, and realized that I actually needed to bring both of my hands into it in this balanced, mirrored way so that I would come behind both of the turtle's front legs and cup right behind the front legs to tuck it in to create the seam where the legs meet the belly. And that's where I started to feel the sculptural feel, where it felt as if I were sinking my hands into some really, really soft, flexible, responsive clay <laughs> that didn't punish me for having my hands on it. And so as soon as I did that, it really unlocked potential of seeing how the fabric can move and respond when I bring my quality of how I'm used to touching something. And another thing I've noticed is just about process. And so I do have a very regular routine when I go into the clay studio. And the first thing that I do is always roll out big, flat sheets of clay that I'm going to come back and hand build, maybe for a big tray or something. And then while that's drying, I'll go and sit and do small work, carving out little pieces. And I found it was funny to me actually to catch myself in that same act here where I'm working on this large kind of queen size quilt on the floor rolling that out first, taking care of those pieces. And then I'll stand up after a while, go to the desk and sit and cut out little applique scraps. And it was funny to find myself doing the exact same thing. And then to catch Chinello flipping through a book. And I just was watching the way that her finger went around the table of contents and watching the way that she was flipping back and forth between the pages. And I was like, this movement, this style of movement is exactly the way that my eye perceives your quilts. And I feel like I'm having this little glimpse of looking into how your brain's working and everyone's process has just been amazing to watch. And Yeah, hearing you say that, Jesslyn, reminds me that one of the things I feel like we've said quite a bit over the last couple of weeks is an artist can change medium, but the artist's hand yes. will always be present. The artist's eye will always be present. And it reminds me that just this week, my friend Amanda Nadig posted a reel on Instagram of her power washing her her driveway. And the marks that she was making with the power washer were her quilt. Totally different scenario, but still 100% Amanda. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to consider as a maker. Yes, yes. This next question comes from Chris, and I really liked it. It is basically, what can your quilts do? In other words, what kind of magic do you hope they bring into the world? Or what kind of effect do you hope to engender in the person who's looking at your work? I think my quilts can speak for me. I think quilts can speak for us. They can, they can protest. They can whisper. They can shout. They can tell the world the message that we want to get across. 
but they can also comfort and they can console and they can heal and they can hug us. I love working with textiles because of that, that ability to do that, to hug me, to remind me whose I am and who I am. What can my quilts do? Yeah, I feel like this is a big question for me because Zach, you and I were talking about this in the studio the other night, which like the the differentiation for me is the difference between like what is a quilt and what can a quilt do? And so when I think about that relationship of what can my quilts do, it feels it feels to me a lot like a, a tethering about like how how can my quilts connect the the like various relationships that are happening surrounding it, whether that's through person to person connection or through like a, a gathering. I really I really love thinking about my quilts not as these objects that sit on the wall, but more as objects that sit on the ground and people like gather on top of them. So they for me they feel like they become this apparatus of facilitating relationships amongst people. And and also I think that it connects for me at least, beyond kind of a a human realm of being like, maybe for my own personal practice, what my quilts are doing is that they're like giving me these tools to observe what's happening in an ecology. Even even being here at the folk school, some of the plants around here I, I recognize and know, and also some of them I've never seen or worked with. So it's been it's been a really interesting experience to be like, okay, I want to like maybe work with something outside and walking around and finding little pieces to maybe sew into the quilts and then coming inside with a giant locust bean and being like, what is this? So yeah, it feels what I want my quilts to do is, is to be able to, to facilitate that movement for myself, that movement amongst community and, and yeah, really, really focus on those connections. I think quilts can do so much. They can be functional, keeping us warm, a show of love, a way of giving new life to old garments. They can be art. They can be sculpture. For me, I love how they're all storytellers. They mark time and space. They hold memories. They document history. They're vehicles for social change. There's so much power in the humble quilt. So what can quilts do and what can my quilts do? For me, it's so interesting because my journey is not necessarily about the outcome of any one piece that I make and any one quilt. For me, it's about standing in this long line of procession of the tradition of quilters and keeping that alive in community. And so for me, I come with this background in mental health done through community settings and through art and through culture, especially as it relates to Native culture and For me, I see quilting as this intergenerational coming together, and we have such amazing quilters in Native community and elders who are always there in the quilt room at the tribal center. And then we have these young people who are really stepping into reviving tradition and wanting to be involved. And for me, anytime that I see people sitting around and working with their hands, it opens up this space for discussion where we can reach depths that may be hard to enter into if we were just sitting and staring at each other. Doing something with your hands really opens up neural pathways, but it also just opens up space in between. And so what I'm imagining these quilts doing is being a space where we can come together in community and have 
elders and young people sitting together and stitching. And I really want to launch into a community quilt making project back home that creates the space where we can have conversations and the stories that come out. We've had the most amazing stories that have come out. And then the littlest detail in a quilt can tell years of stories. And so to me, the quilt is a landing place that allows all of that to emerge. And then y'all know I had to ask them my number one question. How does working with textiles make us more human? Of course, that's a big question, question of a lifetime. But here's a first pass. I think textiles make us more human because it's our go-to. It's the first thing that that we receive when we come through the portal, right? We're wrapped in cloth. We're bundled in cloth. It's how we clothe our bodies. It's how we protect ourselves from the elements. So to me, textiles connect me to my humanity in that way. Even as simple as wrapping a piece of cloth around my finger and rubbing against it as a child and sucking my thumb (laughs) for comfort. The feeling of a quilt when you're sleeping under it, it's just that hug, that hug that it can give you. So I think it connects us to who we are because we are also a thread in this world. And we are also a patchwork going through the world. How textiles make us more human is all of our jokes yesterday about being like, the world would just be a better place if our politicians were sitting around quilting and making decisions from that place. Which I just I love that imagery about, I don't know, there's, there's this like tenderness to, to quilting and to, to textile practice. And there's also like really long complicated and devastating histories around how it is that we work with textiles. And so I think a huge aspect of it is that it it allows us to sit and meditate to work through different ideas, or maybe it like allows us to like ponder the things that might be hard in the world. And then I also think that even just, just being here, I've been learning so much about just like being with the fabric. Like I, been chatting with Kianga about indigo so much and Kianga is like a breadth of knowledge an incredible artist and she gifted me some indigo fabric that is just so beautiful but we were just talking she was sharing with me about like the complicated history of indigo in the south and and just histories that I never knew and so it's made me think a lot about how there's just there's so much more when you actually get to sit with a textile when you get to sit with a dye of being like there's an entire history that is is backing this up. And I think that the act of sitting and maybe quilting for hours, or as we've been doing here, quilting for over 12 hours a day, it it creates so much space to really, to really ponder, to ask questions. There's not necessarily that intensity of, of hustle or, or moving through in this intense production based way. And even when we are in an intense production-based movement with our quilts, there's still, you still just have to sit there and sew. And so whether that's like having conversations with one another, whether that's like listening to an audiobook, I think that that allows, allows the space to make us more human. How quilting makes me more human is that I know that I really connect with myself and others when I quilt with all the reflecting and processing that I do while stitching. Again, I just find it really a nourishing, healing process. But by thinking more big picture, 
and especially over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about how working with all sorts of different fabrics and textiles together is like making a community within a quilt. I've been thinking about how that can be an allegory for our societies. And I, I love color and texture and experimenting with those. But even in a low volume quilt, for me, the interest is in how the differences manifest and play off each other. So I guess I'm thinking kind of like a quilt. Humanity is made stronger by its diversity. So this was a really interesting question for me to think about because I think in many of the craft traditions, what we're working with are the objects of our everyday life and to embed them with such focus and concentration and sweetness for me to have the things that I'm using every day infused with that sweetness. I want to grow food out of my garden that I eat off of plates that I've made and then spend that night under a quilt that I've made. And I haven't really realized until I've spent so much time with this fabric this week. And of course, I've made things and textiles before and always enjoyed it. But this is such an intensive and just realizing that we have fabric next to our skin every day and and so much of every day. And that's such a relationship that um, goes unnoticed in a lot of dominant society. And so I'm just really revisiting what are we choosing to have closest to us on our bodies at all times? What does that mean about us? Where is it coming from? Who are the hands? I always think about food. You know, who are all of the hands who have touched this food on its way to my plate, right? And thinking about the cloth, even from what are the materials that are sourced all the way until the time that it spends living beside my body. And I'm thinking about your favorite sweatshirt or your favorite quilt or these things that stay around for so long in our life and get embedded with these memories. And then lastly, ask them if there's anything else they wanted to share that we hadn't touched on yet. So here we go. What a joy it is to be an artist. What a joy it is to be a textile artist and to connect with others whose lives and paths walk that same road of cloth. I I often refer to my work as I speak with cloth. I love speaking with cloth. I love that it speaks to me. I love that it speaks for me. And I love that it speaks through me. Speaking with cloth as opposed to words allows the message to get through and under some of the shields that we put up like comedy does. Sometimes the comedian's on the stage and they're hitting you hard with some truth, but you're laughing and you're looking at this quilt and you're admiring the colors and you're admiring the stitching and it's telling you to stop doing whatever. But it's like, wow, yeah, okay, I received that. <laughs> Anything else I'd like to add? I think, I think maybe a thing that I was just reflecting on this morning was how beautiful it is to sit with other textiles artists in the context of this mentorship, thinking about the wide range of, of stories that we've got to hear, that the, the way that we've been working together has just really facilitated this beautiful way of getting to know one another has made me really curious about textile practices, the the wide breadth that they work in. And also it's just like such a magical experience to get to see how someone's hand and their mind gets translated into, into a fabric. So I've been, yeah, super grateful for that.
I was thinking about a lot of how textiles facilitate different things. I came back to this, the foundation of, of a project that I had done with my bestie and collaborator, Alexis Hogan. And we had, we'd built this project that was based all around the premise of busy hands allow for an open mind. And I think that that's actually the core of what, or the core of how textiles can make us more human is that there is this aspect of like sitting and processing. And when you do that in a collective, in a space with other people, it has a lot of power for transformation. And, and I was, I was thinking, I was thinking about all of the words that have worked through that kind of sense of, of collectivity or, or busying the hands and all of the beautiful things that have come out of it. And I was, I was reflecting about how textiles can be a way to externalize and process emotions and was thinking about the AIDS memorial quilt and the, I don't know, the, the so many emotions that would be wrapped up in, in those busy hands, like the rage, the grief, the sadness. And I think that some really powerful work has, has allowed for, for that kind of processing tools. And, and I think that the more that we have to actually sit within those emotions, to sit within yeah the the myriad of things that feel hard in the world or the myriad of things that feel joyful in the world, the the more we feel connected to ourselves and to yeah what is happening on a broader scale. Love the idea of busy hands and open heart because it makes me think of the inverse, which that old adage that says that idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? Mm-hmm. So what does it mean if we think of the opposite of an open heart becoming the devil's workshop. What does it mean to have a closed heart? And then how can we open it back up to do the good work that we all really need to do? So thank you for that connection. I've just really enjoyed my time here at the folk school. It's an amazing place. It's been great to see a different part of the country and to hear everyone's stories about how quilting is part of their lives in different ways, even the people that are here taking different classes. And it's been Really great meeting and working with Zach and Kianga and Jesslyn and Chris. I couldn't ask for a more amazing group of people to be on this journey with and learn with and learn from and share with and get their insights. It's a experience that I'll take with me, I think, forever. I just find myself being really grateful to be able to take time and spend two weeks quilting and talking and getting to know people and getting to know myself better. I guess it's just a testimony to how powerful quilting can be in personal lives as well as strands through society. And ultimately, it's really great the power that they have to bring people together. I just like to add that I'm just amazed by this experience. I knew it would be profound to take this time away and really go deep. I have found myself unable to leave the studio every night, right? Staying here until sometimes 2 a.m. and just stitching away. And it feels like the opportunity of a lifetime to go this deep and such an amazing crew, as you've heard in everyone's interviews. I'm profoundly inspired by these people and the relationships that have come out. And I know I'll stay in relationship with all of these people and the quilts that I'm making for so much time to come after we leave here. I hope these conversations gave you a little bit of a taste of the kinds of things we've been talking about here at John C. Campbell Folk School while we've been sitting together and sewing. Robert, I see you nodding your head. What are you thinking? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I've been really fortunate to meet all these people and come by the studio 
throughout the week and see these assignments you've given them develop (laughs) and really shape into something that is inspiring and true to the folk school's mission, which is it's enlivening, it's engaging, it's all about self-discovery. I mean, it just speaks to the strength of this mentorship program, the exciting things that can happen in the studio and how you know, it may be a step away from our typical model of beginner-friendly week-long classes, but that doesn't mean it's a totally different folk school experience. We have this thing we call it folk school magic, and that it's this kind of hard-to-place thing that happens in the studios when you get everyone together working really hard on something and digging into themselves. And it's just so incredible to hear everyone talk about how meaningful this past two weeks have been to them. Yeah, as an instructor... I like to think that the most meaningful things we can work on are projects that help us explore material in a new way and ourselves in a new way. And I think it's safe to say from what we've heard, that's definitely been happening the last two weeks. I'm hoping that y'all will have me back for another quilting mentorship. What kinds of things do you have lined up in the future? Well, this is actually really great timing because we just opened up our applications for our 2024 mentorship programs, and those are due on November 10th, so right around the corner, but also still plenty of time to figure it out. We don't have a quilting one coming up, but I'll talk to them about (laughs) putting it on the schedule. You just tell me who I need to talk to. We'll make that happen. Well, let me tell you what we do have coming up. We've got blacksmithing, we've got timber framing, and I think what'll be most um, relevant to your audience is that we have a natural dyeing and surface design mentorship. So we were recently endowed a natural dye garden on campus, which can, you know, essentially pull every color of the rainbow out of its leaves. So yeah, it'll be a really great two weeks just diving deep, trying a lot of experiments and really understanding what it looks like to grow your own color. And when do folks need to have their applications in again? The applications are due November 10th of this year, and the mentorships are going to take place from February 18th to March 2nd, 2024. We love working with community partners on this mentorship program. For instance, we're developing one with Crafting the Future right now, which is all about providing equitable opportunities for people in craft and art. And we're always looking to work with more organizations and friends to make more mentorships possible. So if you're interested in supporting a mentorship or proposing a mentorship, reach out to our programming department and I'll make sure Zach gets all that in the show notes. And what's the best way for people to learn more about this if they're interested? You can go to our website, folkschool.org. And on the main page, there's a programs tab and that'll bring you down to a mentorship, residencies and other opportunities page. Okay, I tell you what, I'm going to put an exact link to that page you just mentioned down in the show notes for folks to check out. Now, as always, if there's somebody you think I'd like to talk to, please send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. It's Zach at ZachFoster.com. Just remember, Zach is Z-A-K, short and sweet. I hope you're up to something good. I hope you're sewing something good. And I hope to see you soon, maybe on the nook. Y'all take care. <laughs>